0: This is Angus. Welcome to Angus's Appendices, a Kirby's Kids One-Shot. SHOT! Shot! Welcome back, kids, and thanks for listening. April is Captain America month, as we count down the days to April 26th, Avengers Endgame. Captain America was chosen by our readership to be the in-focus comic book character for April. So let's do a little Kirby kernel on the creation of Captain America. To harvest another Kirby Our Kirby Colonel for today is the creation of Captain America because Captain America was created by none other than Jack Kirby along with his partner Joe Simon. Cap's birthplace was at Timely Comics, the company that would eventually become Marvel. And given that Captain America was created in the early 40s, actually his premier issue went on sale in December of 1940, his ultra-patriotic nature had a purpose. Simon and Kirby were not exactly the biggest fans of the Nazis, and the United States had yet to enter into the war. So it was this vehicle, the creation of Captain America, that would spur on Joe Simon and Jack Kirby to want to get America into the fight and do what is right. The cover of Captain America number one was Steve Rogers punching Hitler in the face, and Captain America number two subsequently was Steve Rogers about to punch Hitler in the face. Granted, not every Cap book had its hero in some stage of Fuhrer bashing or assaulting, but pounding on Nazis was a common occurrence in Cap's early days. And then, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, Cap graciously included Emperor Hirohito in his campaign of punching everyone we fought in World War II. His fist-based patriotism was a colossal hit with American comics readers. That first Captain America book sold nearly one million copies. And unlike most comic heroes at the time, Captain America didn't start out as a side story in an anthology series. His first appearance was all his in Captain America number 1. And like any popular hero of the 40s, Captain America was soon the star of his very own film serial, a film serial that can only loosely be referred to as Captain America, as it had nothing to do with the character besides the costume. Comics Cap was Steve Rogers. Serial Cap was Grant Gardner. Comics Cap was a toothpick of an army recruit muscled up with experimental drugs serial cap in the films was a district attorney with an extremely dad-like physique comics cap wielded his trademark shield serial cap shot people point blank in the stomach with a revolver also no nazis and no intrepid boy sidekick bucky barnes to be had from serial cap serial did quite well cap's initial popularity began to wane however, and World War II was over, and there were no more Hitlers and Hirohitos to valiantly beat up. Making matters worse was the decline of the superhero genre in the late 40s. Cap's final two golden age issues were rebranded into something a little less superhero-y, retitled Captain America Weird Tales. One issue had Cap dragged to hell and winning his freedom by knocking out the Red Skull. The second didn't have a single Cap story in it, and that was the end, at least for a while. Now, let's move on to a little creative chatter. We'll dive a little deeper into our two creative artists, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon. Whoever is this artist and this writer, I must meet them. Creative chatter. Let's engage in a little creative chatter. Joe Simon was an American comic book writer, artist, editor, and publisher. Simon created or co-created many important characters in the 1930s and 40s golden age of comics and served as the first editor of Timely Comics, again, the company that would evolve into Marvel Comics. With his partner and artist Jack Kirby, he co-created Captain America, one of comics' most enduring superheroes, and the team worked extensively on such features at DC Comics as the 1940s Sandman and The Golden Boy, and co-created the Newsboy Legion, the Boy Commandos, and Manhunter. Simon and Kirby's creations for other comics publishers include Boy's Ranch, Fighting American, and The Fly. In the late 1940s, Simon and Kirby created the field of romance comics and were among the earliest pioneers of horror comics. Now let's move to our artist, Jack Kirby. What more can be said about Jack that hasn't been said before? But let's provide a little career highlights for you if you're a first-time listener of our podcast. In the spring of 1935, Jack Kirby got his first drawing job. He answered a newspaper ad and was employed by Max Fleischer Animation Studio that produced Popeye and Betty Boob cartoons. He started at the bottom, applying Opaque paint in animation cells. The pay was poor, and he did not get along with his bosses, who thought that he was too eager to move up the ladder. He was persistent, however, and tested for the better-paying position of in-betweening, which would have also made better use of his talents. But despite successfully landing the promotion, he left his job in 1937, the year before Fleischer Studio moved to Florida. His next employer was H.T. Elmo, owner of Lincoln News, a syndication company that offered lower-priced knockoffs of popular syndicated strips to newspapers that could not afford the real things. For example, Kirby produced a note for note imitation of E.C. Sager's Popeye strip called Socko the Sea Dog. Kirby produced staggering amounts of material in different styles for Lincoln, which published them under many different artist names. Most of these named artists never actually existed, being instead company placeholders to put under the title of a strip no matter who was actually doing the drawing. This was a practice later used by many of the lower-end comic book publishers for whom Kirby would soon be producing. Kirby did everything from political cartoons to westerns to humor strips but once again the pay was so poor that it was hard for jack to make a living a living which included supporting his entire family on the lower east side at the time of new york And when Lincoln downsized, he once more was in search of a new job. And the new job he found? In comics. In the late 30s, comics were mostly collected newspaper strips published in color. In 1938, when he got a job from Will Eisner and Jerry Iger of the Eisner and Iger Studio, the first issue of Action Comics had just hit the stands. Eisner and Iger packaged comic book material for many publishers, some overseas. Eisner and Kirby felt mutual respect for one another. Eisner, for Kirby's determination worksmanship, and Kirby for Eisner's ability to run the company and editing details. While working for Eisner in Inger, Kirby also pitched for other houses, and sometimes he got work this way, but not always getting paid. At least once, he was swindled. Kirby found work for Victor Fox's Fox Feature Syndicate. Fox, who fancied himself the king of comics, had been a bookkeeper for national periodical publications and was running a comic book sweatshop that managed to be churning out mediocre comics creations by some of the and brightest lights in the comics industry, names like Will Eisner, Lou Fine. While Fox's wages were low, he paid them in time, so Kirby labored 60-hour work weeks for months at Fox's company, where he met his future partner, Joe Simon, who had been hired as editor supervising artists and writers after Fox parted ways with Will Eisner. Simon was fast and good, unlike so many other young artists of the period who had to hack out work just to make a living. And Simon asked if Kirby was interested in extra work, since Simon needed help with a comics concept that he had created and sold to Novelty Press called The Blue Bolt. This began their long partnership, and Kirby finally adopted Jack Kirby as his full-time work alias. Simon would later speculate that Jacob Kurtzberg would adopt the Kirby synonym so Victor Fox wouldn't know he was freelancing. And that is a story of how our namesake, Jack Kirby, met Joe Simon, and the rest is history, as they say, folks. So now, let's dive deeper into Captain America Comics number one, and head over to our literary aisle. Our land ho, there's our literary aisle. Captain America Comics, number one, provides an incredible value for its time. There are actually four stories contained in this particular volume, and an additional two bonus smaller stories for evolving characters that would eventually be introduced into timely comics. So the four stories that are contained within this volume are Meet Captain America, Which essentially encapsulates Cap's origin story. The one that most of us who have viewed Captain America, the first Avenger movie, can relate to. This was that foundational base with which that movie was then made. The second is No Man But Captain America Could Solve the Riddle. This one gets into... Cap's ability to discern what might be going on from an espionage perspective, and weed out those who are trying to sabotage America in light of World War II breaking out, and. The Nazis making advances throughout Europe. The third is Captain America and the Chessboard of Death. Again, a very similar type of story with respect to espionage, assassinations taking place, Captain America and Bucky coming in to save the day. This is very central in all the themes of all four of these stories. You really begin to see a sense of, number one, paranoia. Meaning, have the Nazis infiltrated the American government and do they have Agents actively looking to undermine America while America waits on the sidelines for World War II to call them to enter in. Again, when this particular comic was published, America had yet to enter the war however they were providing aid to the united kingdom and allies in europe our fourth story the riddle of the red skull introduces that iconic character however it is not what red skull would evolve into eventually be this particular story can be encapsulated by embracing all the themes of the previous three and exposing an actual member of the military industrial complex as having become a turncoat and making that particular character be the Red Skull character. It's an interesting twist, but nonetheless, this is the first iteration of the Red Skull character, which eventually would become iconic as Captain America's opposition. Overall, how would I rate this comic? I have to say it was an enjoyable read. The dialogue was very, very basic. I was not overwhelmed by it, but I will say it was indicative of the time in which it was written. I thought Simon did a commendable job here on that. I do believe this was a collaborative work between himself and Jack Kirby, but really the thing that shines in this comic book is the actual art. The art is fantastic, and you really begin to see in these panels where Jack's action sweeping motions, Captain America coming in with an arm to punch out the opposition, a lot of justice being done through fists, very physical. It would be extremely exciting to the reader to see this much action being captured in a comic, and I'd say would be not of what was typically the offering from the other major comics publishers of the day. You can see very easily how this would have sold over a million copies just based on the action Alone. It truly is the visual storytelling that shines in this particular comic. Now, the last two little stories that are thrown in in the back of this comic, and again, I can't overemphasize the real value within this comic to the reader. What you're getting as a reader here is essentially, oh my gosh, almost. 66 pages of goodness as it relates to content. That's a pretty thick book for the day. Now, in the back of this particular comic was the following. You had Hurricane, which essentially is a character, the son of Thor, god of thunder, and the last descendant of the ancient Greek immortals, returns to Earth to fight his ancestral enemy, Pluto, the devil, whose horrible crimes have almost ruined civilization. So there you go. That's kind of the premise behind that one. This was an introductory character at the time, which would then go on to evolve into the Macquarie character that would eventually show up in Jack Kirby's Eternals series. The last small story in this particular volume is that of Tuck the Cave Boy. And Tuck, who is a member of his tribe of Cro-Magnons that thus lived about 43,000 years ago. So it's, I guess, for its time, a prehistoric cave boy kind of drama. Now, this particular Tuck character would only go on to appear in 12 other issues of various other comics as kind of a throw in or an appearance and really didn't take huge root would have tremendous success. But nonetheless, it is entertaining for its small little value... ...included in the back of this comic. Overall... I would recommend Captain America Comics number one to all readers. It is extremely entertaining. It definitely encapsulates the day, the mood, the feeling. There is a lot of paranoia that you see in the comic. The central themes of rooting out spies and saboteurs that are trying to undermine the efforts of America as they valiantly step up to the plate and support their allies in Europe in their efforts. And the overall opinion of both Simon and Jack Kirby that the Nazis are bad and and America really needs to step up to the plate and take action. And truly doing that through the Captain America character. So, hey, we would love to hear from you. What was your opinion of Captain America Comics number one? Please send us an email at podcast at gmail.com. Or leave us a message on the Anchor app. And stay tuned for further issues of Captain America, our in-focus character for the month of April. Excelsior!